this morning my message I titled Reunited. We're going to continue in Genesis, the story of Joseph. And we know that from previous messages that Joseph was estranged from his brothers because his brothers sold him into slavery. But they are reunited in Egypt, and we'll be talking about that today. So before we begin, let's go ahead and, and I want to pray first because there's, I'll, I'll be pausing a lot through the scriptures. So let's go ahead and begin with a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do magnify you and thank you for you are worthy. You are worthy of our praise and adoration because you truly are God. And Father, we thank you for your great salvation, which you have freely given to all who believe in your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the power of that salvation. And Father, we know that that cannot be taken from us. We thank you for that. That the devil can't steal that away. For Lord, once we believe in you, he cannot take it away. That our eternal salvation is sealed. Our names are written in that land's book of life. We just give you praise and glory and honor for that. We thank you, Father, that we can gather in your house to worship you. We thank you for your word. And Father, I pray that you would guide and direct your servant today. I pray that every word spoken would be for your glory and for your honor, Father God. And that it would plant seeds in the hearts of those that may be curious, that may be seeking, Father God, that you would help those seeds to grow and bear much fruit. And Father, I just pray that this word would help all of us, Lord, to better understand who you are and what you've done and, and just your amazing grace and your love, Father. I just pray that you would just touch each of our hearts and our minds. And Father, just search our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to look at Genesis chapter 42. To begin with, verses 6 through 24, hear the word of the Lord. Now Joseph was governor over the land, and it was he who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he acted as a stranger to them and spoke roughly to them. Then he said to them, where do you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. So Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. So just a little clarification here to understand. Ten of Joseph's brothers traveled from the land of Canaan to Egypt to buy food. Benjamin, the youngest brother, stayed behind with his father. Remember, Joseph and Benjamin were, were the sons of Rachel, his favorite wife. So Benjamin stayed behind. Of course, now Joseph is the one that they're standing before. They did not recognize him. And you might be wondering, how could they not recognize their own brother? Their own flesh and blood. How did they not recognize him? Well, there could be many reasons why. For one, Joseph was only 17 years old the last time they saw him. He was a, just call him a very young man. Not quite 18 yet. So a young man and... Now, it's been at least 17, 15 years. So he was 13 years either as a slave or a prisoner. We're two years into the famine, so it's been at least 15 years minimum since they have seen Joseph. And you have to remember, he is now an Egyptian. He's basically an Egyptian. He is dressed like an Egyptian, which dressed very differently from Hebrews, right? He has an Egyptian haircut. And I think you've probably all seen, you know, they're kind of straight and it goes right around there straight like that and probably straight across here. So he now has an Egyptian haircut. 
He is speaking Egyptian language. He is not speaking to them in Hebrew. He is speaking to them through an interpreter. He does not have a beard. He is clean shaven. Most likely his brothers all are bearded. and He may have even had a beard at 17. We don't know. We know that when he was taken from the prison before Pharaoh, he had to be shaved and given a haircut and cleaned up. We talked about that last week. So he doesn't look anything like he looked before. Now, granted, you know, if they would have looked at his eyes and maybe his features, but they're probably fearful, scared. You know, here's this guy with all this power, the one they're trying to buy food from. They're probably not looking too intently at his eyes or his nose. Because he has power and authority over them. They bow before him. So there's a few reasons why they probably didn't recognize their own brother. Verse 9. Then Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said to him, No, my Lord, but your servants have come to buy food. We are all One man's sons. We are honest men. Well, I'm not so sure about that. You know, they're calling themselves honest, but we'll see, right? Your servants are not spies. But he said to them, No, but you have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said, Your servants are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. In fact, the youngest is with our father today, and one is no more. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes. Think about that for just a moment. Imagine hearing your brother say, the one is no more, and he knows that they're talking about him. As far as they know, he's dead and gone. Your one is no more. But Joseph said to them, it is as I spoke to you saying, you are spies. In this manner, you shall be tested. They are going to experience some tests. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring back your brother, and you shall be kept in prison, that your words may be tested. So he says, we're going to test your word to see if you are honest men, right? To see whether there is any truth in you, or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. So he put them all together in prison three days. Then Joseph said to them the third day, Do this and live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined to your prison house, but you go and carry grain for the famine of your houses, and bring your youngest brother to me, so your words will be verified, and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, We are truly guilty concerning our brother, for we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us and we would not hear. Therefore this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, saying, Did I not speak to you, saying, Do not sin against a boy? And you would not listen. Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. But they did not know that Joseph understood them, for he spoke to them through an interpreter. And he turned himself away from them and wept. Then he returned to them again and talked with them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. You know, back in chapter 37, 
of Genesis, Joseph revealed the dream to his brothers. We remember that dream, the dream that they're out in the field and they're binding up their sheaves and his rose above all of theirs. And their eleven sheaves bowed down to his. At the age of 17, he reveals that. He is now at least 32 years old because they're, as I said, a couple years into the famine. He's probably thinking to himself, God, now I have seen the fulfillment of your plan. I have seen, Lord, and I understand now, Father, what you were showing me. How humbling. How humbling to come to that place where God has allowed you to see the fulfillment of the dream which He had given you many years before. You know, when we read that Scripture, it might seem that Joseph's treatment of his brothers was a little bit harsh. Well, it might seem a little harsh, but remember this. These are the same characters that sold him into slavery. Sold him. Sold their own flesh and blood into slavery. And as he said, he pleaded with them. These same guys. So there's a reason for him to speak to them roughly. There's a reason for him to test to see if they are truthful. You know, there's what appears to be a little bit of trickery in this whole story surrounding Joseph and his brothers and him sending them back to, to Canaan. But these things were necessary. It was his way, it was God's way of seeing if they were still the hate-filled brothers that he once knew. Or if they had changed their ways. It was his way for them to experience the test to see if they were truly repentant in their hearts. We can see right away that Joseph is a man of compassion. You're like, well, where? I might have missed that, right? At first, what did he say? I'm going to keep all of you and send one back to the land of Canaan to bring your brother back, to bring your youngest brother, Benjamin. Now, he didn't call him by his name. He didn't want to reveal that he knew that. But he said, I'm going to send one back and you're all going to stay. But after three days, they was in prison. He brings them out. He says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to keep one in prison and let the rest go back. So he kept Simeon. He's the one they bound. Kept him in prison and set the nine back. And you might say, well, why did he do this? Well, for one, as I said, Joseph is a compassionate man. He understands God's mercies. But he also knew that it's a long way back to the land of Canaan. It's 250 to 300 miles. And it's a very dangerous journey, especially for one man. One man alone might not make it. He might be overtaken. It's, it would take approximately six weeks round trip for this journey, for them to go back and then bring the brother back. Possibly would take six weeks. And Joseph's compassion, for one thing, is revealed because he's already hearing how Reuben says, didn't I plead with you not to sell him? So he's feeling a little compassion toward them. But it's kind of interesting because he can understand them, but they don't know it. You know, way back in 1997, there was a movie, and we watched it. 
It was called What the Deaf Man Heard. It was about a family that had a very, very young boy. My wife's thinking, what? I don't remember this. A very young boy, and they moved to a new town. And when they got to this new town, the young boy pretended like he couldn't hear and couldn't speak, like he was deaf and mute. He did this to protect himself, maybe to keep from getting bullied. And this worked for 20 years. For 20 years, this young boy was the custodian of all the town secrets. Because anybody would say anything around him because they thought, well, he can't hear me and he's sure not going to tell my secrets. So for 20 years, he held all these secrets in his heart, in his mind. He knew them all. <laughs> They'd say anything they wanted to around this boy. 20 years later, though, his secret was revealed that he knew. <laughs> so to the town's surprise. Well, Joseph kind of had the same advantage over his brothers, didn't he? They thought they could discuss anything because he's not going to understand us. He doesn't know what we're saying. They're beginning to talk about their evil deeds and they're, you know, revealing, oh no, we know that this has come upon us because of what we did way back then. Reuben says, and I pleaded with you. So he's hearing all this. He understood everything they were saying. So they, they said to one another, in verse 21, so they're speaking among themselves. We are truly guilty concerning our brother. He's hearing this. We saw his anguish. We saw the anguish as he pleaded with us. They're dragging him up out of that pit and taking him to the Mishmaelites to sell him. And he's pleading with them, don't do this to me. I'm your brother. Let me go back to my father. Don't do this. I want to go home. But they would not listen. Reuben said, I tried to tell you and you would not listen. And Joseph's hearing all of this and his heart is breaking. But it's not yet time to reveal who he is. Not yet time. But he sees that God is already working on their consciences. Those three days in confinement gave them time to think about what they have done in the past. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. My friends, this is a prayer. The psalmist is asking God, search me. Search me. Search my heart. Search my heart, God, and if there's any wicked way in me, lead me in the way everlasting, which is the way of righteousness. Have you prayed that? Have you humbled yourself and said, Lord, please, search my heart, and if you can find any wicked way in me, Father, please reveal it to me that I may repent of it and lead me in the path of righteousness. And He will be faithful to do it if we search it and ask it with a humble heart. There were more tests to come for Joseph's brothers. There would be another, a further test of honesty. So Joseph's going to send the nine away, let them go back to the land of Canaan. And he commanded his steward, that he filled the sacks with the grain, but then placed every man's money back in their sacks. So he filled them up with the grain. They, you know, they didn't know what was going on. 
and put all of their money sacks right back in top, on top of the grain tied the sacks up. So they're heading back to Canaan. And I, it doesn't say how far they were in the journey. But they came to an encampment. And one of them opened his sack. And he's going to get a little grain out to feed the donkey. And he noticed, my money's in the sack. And it says, the scripture says, it's way too much scripture because too many chapters. It says that their hearts failed them. When they saw that money in that sack, their hearts failed them. They asked themselves, what is this that God has done to us? They thought that if they returned for more supplies, that not only now would He say they are spies, but they are thieves because they had their money. They think, they know that they are beginning to experience the consequences of their past sins. But they, they went ahead and continued on to Canaan. They didn't go back. They went on to Canaan. They arrive at Canaan and they tell their father Jacob all that has happened. All that happened in the land of Egypt. How the governor there treated them harshly. How he spoke to them. Asked so many questions about their family. Accused them of being spies shared with their father how when they got to the encampment, they opened up the sack of grain and there's the money. And he says, well, maybe it was just an oversight. So, and they tell his father, they, they tell their father, and they ask about, he asked about our youngest brother, Benjamin, and said that we cannot come back and buy food unless we bring Benjamin with us. And their father says, that's not going to happen. I've already lost Joseph. I cannot bear to, you, to lose my youngest son, Benjamin. If that were to happen, my gray hair would go to the grave because of sorrow. He says, that's not going to happen. We're not gonna, no, I'm not sending Benjamin. So they just go back to their families, the nine brothers. Well, we know what happens. The famine continues, right? They run out of food. The food is gone. The food that they went and brought back from Egypt is gone. Jacob calls his sons. You need to go back. You need to go buy a little more food, he tells them. Judah is the one who steps up and becomes very stern with his father. He says, Father, we explained to you that we cannot go back and buy food. We will not see his face unless we have Benjamin with us. If you send Benjamin, we will go. But if you will not send Benjamin, we will not go. We are not going without our brother Benjamin. So his father finally relented and said, if he must go, he goes. If he is lost, I will go to my grave. But Judah swears to his father, on his life, that he will protect his brother Benjamin. So they go back to Egypt. And Joseph had his stewards watching for his brothers. He was pretty confident that they were going to come back. And as soon as the steward saw him, he got Joseph and said, Your brothers are here. And when he saw his brother Benjamin, he asked, told the steward, didn't ask him, he told the steward because he has authority. He says, Go to my house. Kill the animal. Prepare the dinner. He says, we are going to dine at my house today. 
these men and the one that's in prison, we are going to dine in my house today. I'm going to dine with them. And so when Joseph arrives, he didn't go right away. So he goes to the home. Meal's been prepared. And when he comes in, Simeon has been brought from jail, and then there's the other. So all 11 brothers are there. And again, when Joseph comes in, the first thing they do, you know it, they bow down. So now he is truly seeing God's fulfillment that all 11 brothers, including Benjamin, have bowed down before Joseph. So Joseph, of course, guides the steward. They don't know this, but the steward places seats all the brothers from oldest to youngest. He seats them oldest to youngest as they sit down to dine. They are astonished. You know, they're looking around like, how did he know this? But they still have no clue. They're astonished though that they were seated oldest to youngest. They bring the food out. Benjamin gets five times more than any of the other brothers. Now Joseph's not sitting right with them. He's off sitting at another table because they can't dine together because he's an Egyptian now, supposedly, right? So he dines with them. Throughout the course of all of Joseph's meetings with his brothers, there are six times, you'd have to go look to Scripture, six times that he has to go off by himself because he's weeping. He needs to hide it from them and regain his composure and then go back to his brothers. It happened during the dinner also. But the dinner's all over and they're making plans that they're going to fill their sacks with grain again and send them back off to Canaan. So the next morning, the test isn't quite over. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 44. And he commanded the steward of his house saying, fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. Also, put my cup the silver cup in the mouth of the sack of the youngest and his grain money. So he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. As soon as the morning dawned, the men were sent away, they and their donkeys. When they had gone out of the city and were not yet far off, Joseph said to his steward, Get up, follow the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? This is not... Or is this not the one from which my Lord drinks and with which he indeed practices divination? You have done evil in so doing. So he overtook them and he spoke to them the same words. And they said to him, Why does my Lord say these words? Far be it from us that your servants should do such a thing. Look, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks. How then could we steal silver or gold from the your Lord's house. With whomever, now this is his brother speaking, with whomever of your servants it is found, let him die. And we also will be my Lord's slaves. So they're saying to the steward, whoever sack you find that in, let him die. And the rest of us will be his slave. They were that confident that they didn't steal anything. And he said, Now also let it be according to your words. He with whom it is found shall be my slave, and you shall be blameless. Then each man speedily speedily let down his sack to the ground, and each opened his sack. So he searched. He began with the oldest and left off with the youngest. 
and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and each man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. What is this with tearing the clothes, right? Rending the clothes. What did that one praise song say? Oh, the song, rend thy heart. Rip thy heart open to reveal it. Let God in, right? They tear their clothes. They rend their clothes. Why? Why do they do that? It has a lot to do with economics of the ancient days. At least for the Israelites. Because Israelites were an agrarian society. Clothing was a very valuable commodity for them. They could not go up to TJ Maxx or Walmart or Sam's Club or whatever department store and find thousands of clothes to choose from. Clothes had to be made. They were very time intensive. They were very expensive. Which meant most of them probably had an extremely limited wardrobe. Unlike most of us today, right? We've got a press our stuff down in our drawers really hard to get the drawer shut. And we open our closets up and we got to squeeze stuff apart and try to get the stuff in there in a hanger. we got walk-in closets. Let's don't go on the shoes, right? <laughs> we have abundance of clothes. Probably most of us. It was not so back then. So when they tore their clothes, they are demonstrating They're reflecting the depth of the emotional pain that they are experiencing. When they would begin mourning, often right, they would tear their clothes because emotionally they are distraught. They are suffering emotionally, experiencing great pain. They were experiencing great pain because they just realized their younger brother might be killed. The very one that they promised to bring back to their father. And now he's going to die. Because he's the one who had the silver cup in his sack. Many years earlier, these same brothers, the same ones that sold him to slavery with no remorse, now they're experiencing deep sorrow because of the possibility that Benjamin might be killed. They have finally come to the place where they are experiencing genuine Repentance. Not just for their current situation that they find themselves in, but I believe for all the sins. For the lies that they come up with to tell his father, their father, of what happened to Joseph. They're experiencing guilt for that. All of the lies, the schemes. Remember the blood on the coat. Some wild beast must have gotten your son. He's gone. He's no more. The lies, the hydra sins, the way they treated Joseph all those years. They're experiencing true repentance. And you know, there's Joseph. I've already revealed that he's compassionate. He could have chosen to hold a grudge against his brothers, right? I mean, who could have blamed him for holding a grudge for the crime that they committed against him? Who could have blamed him for not shutting these men out, not allowing them back into his life, taking the chance to get hurt again, to open himself up to further wounds, further emotional harm? But my friends, what does the Word tell us? 
If our brother comes to us for forgiveness, how often are we forgive him? Seven times 70? No, unlimited, right? If your brother comes as often as he comes and asks for forgiveness, we are to forgive our brother. Joseph was willing to forgive. The truth is, holding a grudge, no matter what the grievance was, will not help the one that holds his grudges. It will not allow healing to come to our souls. James Alexander Thom shares this about grudges. He says, Once armies carried cannonballs with them, afraid they would meet the enemy somewhere and have nothing to shoot at them. In terms of specific gravity, grudges are about as heavy as cannonballs. But it makes little sense to carry them. Most likely the enemy is unaware of your enmity and surely would be surprised to learn that you've been stalking them with cannonballs in your pocket. So examine your grudges. Do what armies do when hostilities are over. They unload their cannonballs and stack them on the lawn of the courthouse. And they marveled how much easier it is to get around. My friends, unload your grudges. Unload your grudges. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, the New Living Translation says, Get rid. If you're holding a grudge, listen. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Last Sabbath scripture revealed that when Joseph resisted the seductress wife of Potiphar, that he said to her that when we sin, we actually sin against God. He says, how can I sin against God? So yes, our sins may harm others, but they're really against God. Remember, Jesus said, as you do unto the least of these, you do unto me. So that goes for good and bad. When we do bad unto others, we're doing it to Him. When we do good, we are doing it unto Him, right? So Joseph's brothers not only came to the place of true repentance, they're confessing their sins. Remember, verse 16 in chapter 44 said, that Judas said, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of our servants. Here we are, my Lord's slaves, both we and he also with whom the cup was found. Judah intercedes on behalf of his brother Benjamin. And he asked Joseph to allow him to become his slave and let Benjamin return to his father. In chapter 44, verses 33 and 34, it says, Now therefore, please let your servant, this is Judah, saying, Please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me, lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father? There's a connection here, friends. I don't know if you see it. Judah is the tribe in which Jesus Christ came. Is he not? He is called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Here is Judah willing to lay down his life. He is willing to serve 
the penalty for his brother Benjamin. Keep me. Take me. Let my brother go. And is that not what Jesus has done for each of us? He served our penalty. He said to the Father, Take me. Take me that my brother can go free. Take me. The time has finally come for Joseph to reveal himself to his brothers. He held his motions for as long as he could. His heart is overflowing. There's so many things. Joseph is longing to see his father. We know that he loved his father dearly. He held a special place in his father's heart. And he is longing to put his arms around his father and hug on his neck. He's actually longing to hug his brothers also. Genesis 45. This is the reveal. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. (laughs) In my mind, I envision all those brothers there, their jaws are dropped down to their chest. (laughs) What? (laughs) Joseph? Can you imagine? How can this be? How could you be Joseph? I am Joseph. And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph your brother, whom you sold into slavery. So he's now revealing to them things that no one else would know, right? But now, do not therefore be grieved or angered with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. So now it was not you... It was not you who sent me here, but God. And He has made me a father to Pharaoh, and lord of all his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Again, how compassionate. Do not be afraid. It was not you, but God sent me here. Do not be afraid. I'm not going to do you harm. I love you. I understand it was God's plan. God's plan to bring me here to save not only the Egyptians, but to save my family back in Canaan is why God sent me here. You know, there were so many uncertainties in Joseph's life. So many uncertainties with his brothers here. He's a slave. He's in prison. But yet, through all of that, he trusted God. He saw that it was God's plan. You know, there are so many uncertainties in the world today, isn't there? I mean, just think about all that's going on right now. I think there are more uncertainties in the world than most of us have experienced in our lifetime. I'm not sure. I mean, some have seen the Great Depression, but there's a lot of unrest. There's fears. There's political unrest. There's fears of what that might bring. There's a pandemic that brings so many fears with it. Fears that we might catch the the virus. Fears that we might lose a loved one. There is so much uneasiness in the world today. 
But what did the Lord tell us in John chapter 16, verses 32 through 33? But the time is coming. Indeed, it is here now. When you will be scattered, each one going his own way, leaving me alone, yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on this earth you will have many trials and sorrows. Hear that, church. Here in the earth, here on this earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. My friends, we need to be like Joseph. Trust in God. No matter what trials come, whether we, like Joseph, find ourselves slaves or whether we find ourselves in prison, no matter what situation comes upon us, we must understand that He overcame and we too in Him can overcome. Because He overcame, we can overcome. We may have to endure many things. We may be delivered from many things. I don't know exactly what God has in store. There are many uncertainties coming. We don't know. But I do know this, that we can trust in God. His Word tells us that He will never leave us nor forsake us. That doesn't say we won't have to endure some things. But we know what the final outcome is. That if we are in Christ and He in us, that we too can be overcomers. That we can be victorious in the end. Because our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We can have eternal life through Jesus Christ. Amen?